Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. Well, greetings. I am actually um, doing this podcast on the road from Fargo, North Dakota. Um, I'm heading back tonight back to Washington, but I am in Fargo, North Dakota, where it is, oh, I don't know, feels like negative 19 degrees. Uh, seriously, I'm not bullshitting. It's been freezing. Why am I in Fargo, North Dakota, you ask? Well, um, I gave the keynote address at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota, which is literally like three miles away from here, right across the Red River in Minnesota. So yes, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. I think honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King is so, so important, especially in the time that we live in now. Um, So that's about the only thing that would get me to come out here in God's country in the middle of January, (laughs) where it feels like it's literally negative 19 degrees. We got some snow, got a couple snow drifts, uh, full experience, you know, you gotta love it. But no, the people are so nice here. It's such a beautiful, our country's so beautiful. So it's all good. But um, I am on the road. So um, I prepared a couple of great interviews prior to me leaving. Um, One with my good friend, Dr. Jason Johnson, talking about the the King legacy and um, relating it to the political state of play today in race relations. And uh, Dr. Johnson is an MSNBC commentator and he's also a professor at uh, Morgan State professor of political science and communication. So um, that interview is coming up. And then I also had a chance to chat with former supervisory FBI agent Josh Campbell, who is also a colleague of mine over at CNN. He's a CNN law enforcement analyst. And Josh and I talked about the Michael Cohen story and the bombshell BuzzFeed report that shortly after we did our interview, Um, the special counsel's office disputed some of the accuracy of that story. So when you hear the interview with Josh, it was prior to that bombshell part of it coming out that, well, hold on, the special counsel said, wait a minute, some of this is not accurate. So um, BuzzFeed is still standing by their story. When Josh and I spoke, we did say that CNN had not corroborated this, and which was true. So we prefaced that conversation with, if this is all true, what does this mean? Interestingly, the special counsel decided to, to come out and actually make a statement, and they usually stay silent. They don't comment on anything. So it, it's left a lot of questions. BuzzFeed stands by their story. They stand by their sources. So it's still ongoing. I'm sure the truth will eventually come out, but right now the story's in dispute. So well, part of it um, is in dispute. So. Even still, uh, Josh and I have a great conversation about kind of what's going on. Um, he also talks about uh, his the day that he was with James Comey when he got fired. So yes, Josh was an assistant to former FBI Director James Comey, so he talks a little bit about that, which is interesting as well. Um, so we have those two great interviews. And um, before we get to those, I just wanted to see, let's say, talk about a couple things. Um, 
Oh, by the way, it out here in Fargo, I did not get a chance to go to any of the sites from the movie. It's been too damn cold. So if anybody is wondering, no, I really have spent 99% of my time in my hotel because it's freaking freezing. Um, but I did have a bison burger and it was excellent. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, so uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. And um, by the time this airs, that'll, all the festivities mostly will be over. But again, thank you to Concordia College for bringing me here to, to speak to their wonderful student body and participate in their panel discussion on um, Martin Luther King. So let's see a couple things before we get to the interviews. Um, yeah, so I, 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 this whole Michael Cohen BuzzFeed story about whether um, Trump actually told Cohen to lie to congressional investigators when he gave his testimony. I, the interesting part about all this dispute is that the special counsel's office does not specifically say what was inaccurate and what wasn't. And um, I think the part that they're claiming that was inaccurate is the fact that the BuzzFeed reporters claimed that there, that there was evidence that Trump instructed Cohen to lie. So that's a bit of a change. I mean, most people probably believe that Trump and Cohen talked about his testimony and that, well, Trump's a liar, Cohen's a liar, so why wouldn't he tell him a lie? I mean, you know, it's not really all that outside the realm of possibility. But the fact that the story claimed that there were, that there was concrete evidence, according to two law enforcement officials who were not named, that's the part I think that the special counsel's office was like, really? Well, we need to put out a statement. So we don't know. We still don't know. But, you know, it's also a cautionary tale that the media has to be really, really careful in what they report. Because obviously we want to be accurate and we want things to be presented clearly. But this just gives Trump and his minions ammunition. You know, it, it gives him ammunition to scream fake news and that everyone's just out to get Trump. And I, when I saw this and I and I saw the, the, the Mueller statement, I went, oh, no. It, it, the stakes are too high, people. We've got to get it right. We've got to get it right. But like I said, BuzzFeed stands by their story. No other publication has been able to substantiate the claims. So I don't know. But we've got to get it right. The media, there's really no room for error. So we'll keep an eye on that story and see what's going on. But did anybody see Rudy Giuliani on CNN with Chris Cuomo? And then he was on again over the weekend with Jake Tapper. Why do they keep putting Rudy Giuliani in front of anybody's camera? This guy is a disaster. Absolute disaster. First of all, he, he looks completely unhinged when he's on air. I, I mean, he just, just does not present present well. But besides that, he talks in circles. He goes off on tangents. You can't get a question in. And then again, he repeated this timeline about the Trump Tower Moscow situation where he claimed that it would been that, that Trump was still discussing it through the election. But that's in dispute. Again, Trump and, and Michael Cohen and those guys, they said it was done before the Iowa caucuses. But then Cohen came back and said, no, I lied. It was through June of that year. And now you've got Giuliani back out there saying, oh, yeah, it was through the election. Wait, what? 
The timing of that matters because that means that Trump was lying to the American people when he said he had no business, business with Russia. The American people should have known that before they voted for him, don't you think? So then Giuliani had to turn around and clean that up and came out on Monday with a statement saying, no, 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 that was just a hypothetical. I don't know if Trump talked to Cohen about his testimony or what. Wait, what? This guy is a disaster. I don't know how he keeps his job. I just don't. What a fall for Giuliani. But yeah, he's just, every single time he makes the situation worse. Ugh. What a mess. He's just a mess. Um, oh, a couple other things real quick. We've got a couple of the uh, new entrants into 2020. So it looks like the 2020 re- uh, election season has officially kicked off. You had Elizabeth Warren. Then you had Kirsten Gillibrand, Senator from New York. And now Senator from California, Kamala Harris. Uh, black female, former U- uh, uh, state attorney for California, um, Attorney General, I'm sorry, for California. You know, she's not my cup of tea. I don't agree with her policies. I'm, I'm a conservative, so, but um, it is certainly a historic election already with so many women uh, declaring to run. The Democrats are going to have like 30 people in this. We thought that the Republican primary in 2016 was a jungle primary (laughs) just wait people the democrats are all over the spectrum here but you're gonna see a lot of uh you're gonna see a lot of diversity that's for sure i guess that's always a good thing but i'm gonna be very curious to see how democrats navigate this because you have you're gonna have the dynamics between the progressive side versus the more establishment side you know the Joe Biden's leading in the polls just because he has the most name ID and people like him. Um, But you're always the most popular when you're not an official uh, candidate. So I don't know. Is there room for Joe Biden in this new Democrat party when you've got, oh, you've Julian Castro in in the race also, former um, HUD secretary under, under Obama. These people are pretty far left on a lot of stuff. Now, Kamala Harris, she's gonna catch some stuff because she was a, you know, law and order prosecutor. Um, so she's going to have to try to convince the, the progressive wing of the party that she's on their side, you know, the Black Lives Matter people. So this is this is going to be very fascinating. I'm going to have my popcorn watching this on, from my end. I just want someone that Democrats can put up that's saying that can beat Donald Trump. I still think that that's Joe Biden, um, but, you know, he's old. He's, he's the establishment. It's almost like the same dynamics that the Republicans went through. So I don't know. We'll see. Joe Biden's a, a Democrat I could vote for, but you got to get out of the primary. So there's that happening and the shutdown. The shutdown's still going on. This is awful. We're talking a, m- a month now. No end in sight. People are going to, these federal workers are going to now come up coming up to a second paycheck that they're missing that's a month two paychecks without two pay periods without getting paid this is cost costing causing i can't even talk today catastrophic so cold i can't talk (laughs) catastrophic financial hardship for folks and it's just not fair it really isn't fair what donald trump is doing is just callous he's he has no ability to empathize with the fact that there are so many American families that can that cannot afford to live 
without two paychecks. And he tried to make a feeble attempt at throwing out a uh, temporary DACA protection and and protection for TPS, which are uh, temporary protected status immigrants like Haitians. Um, But it's only temporary for the DACA recipients for three years. That was a non-starter for Democrats. Last year, I just want to be clear, Donald Trump walked away from a deal on the table that gave him up to $25 billion for his wall and border security in exchange for a pathway to citizenship for DACA. That was, listen, I'm a hardliner in immigration. I don't like the idea of amnesty, but we have to do something. And that would have been a a good deal. Take it. He didn't. He tanked it. He added in poison pills that Democrats couldn't accept last year after the hard right went after Donald Trump screaming amnesty from the rooftops because of that deal. So now we're fighting over $5.7 billion and almost a million federal workers and contractors are now going a month without being paid. This is causing problems with, uh, it's costing the economy money a billion dollars a week by some estimates not to mention just the absolute chaos in these American families' lives. My husband is one of those federal workers who is being forced to work without pay. He is a federal law enforcement officer. He's under the Homeland Security Department. So I've mentioned this before. So it's, it's impacting us personally as well. Thankfully, I work, so we're able to make it. But, you know, there are thousands and thousands of families that are lining up at food banks, that are um, trying to work Uber, drive Uber and things to make ends meet. I mean, TSA, the calling out sick rate is increasing. And some people have said the only way we're going to get out of this is if there's like some kind of mass walkout with TSA or something that's so disruptive that they're going to be forced to have to do something. Now, look, Donald Trump could open the government tomorrow. All he, he They could. The Democrats have said, listen, we're not going to negotiate anything with you because, A, you're a bad faith negotiator and a piss poor one on top of that. But he's a terrible negotiator, a bad faith negotiator. He's They're like, stop holding these people hostage. We will talk about your stupid wall or whatever money you want for border security after you open the government up. Trump is saying, screw you. I'm not opening the government until you promise me I'm going to get my wall funding. It's an impasse, folks. It's an impasse. Democrats really need to come back with a counteroffer, though, because we really don't know where, what it would get them other than open the government. You know, Trump is pretty entrenched, and he is so obstinate and so self-centered that he will, and just so vindictive, that he doesn't give two shits about the pain this is inflicting on, on other people. He doesn't care. It's about his own personal win and how he can, you know, he's going to stick it to them and I'm going to win at all costs. Well, you can't govern like that. It's one of the dangers of a guy that has a malignant, narcissistic personality like Trump. You know, the, our, our freaking 25% of our government is being held hostage. And real American families are paying the price. So who knows, by, the end, by this weekend, it'll be another paycheck missed, barring any, any deal. Or, you know, before that, it doesn't look like there will be. Um... You know, this tit-for-tat between Trump and Pelosi, it's very juvenile. And, you know, Pelosi Pelosi, tried to be shrewd and say, hey, why don't you postpone the, the State of the Union? 
and then citing security concerns because the Secret Service, who runs the security umbrella for the State of the Union, along with the Capitol Police, and it's the Capitol Police's house, but because of the fact that the basically the entire government is there, including the president and vice president, Secret Service, they run it. They're the, po- they're the point agency um, because it's deemed a, a special national security event. Um, the UN special, the UN General Assembly is an example of that. The Super Bowl is an example of that. When the Olympics were here, that's another example. And the Secret Service actually runs all of those things. So in case people were wondering. Um, so she tried to say, well, look, Secret Service is not funded. These guys are working without pay, too. And it's just not right. It's a security concern. And then Secret Service came back and said, no, we're fully prepared to execute the mission. So that backfired a little bit. But I understand what she, what she was trying to say. Hey, just postpone it. Um, until we figure this out. But then Trump turned around and decided to pull Nancy Pelosi's military plane for her trip overseas to visit the troops in Afghanistan and wrote her this juvenile letter with misspellings and weird capitalizations, like a tweet, saying that, oh, why don't you just fly commercial? Because it's this PR trip that you're going on. No, you know, I worked in Congress. Codell, sometimes they can be like junkets, but most of the time they are working trips. And she was going to Afghanistan, the stopover in Belgium to visit with NATO leaders because of pilot rest. Pilots have to rest. There's a certain amount of air time, flight, flight time, and they have to rest and then they can fly again. So she was going to, they stopped, they were going to stop in Belgium, in Brussels, so she can meet with NATO and re- reinforce our relationships since Trump is constantly insulting our NATO allies. Um, all that had to get canceled. It was like 30 minutes before they were supposed to hop on the bus to Andrews Air Force Base to fly out. And Trump cancels the plane, tells her to fly commercial. Yeah, okay. Let's fly commercial into a war zone in Afghanistan, you jerk, jerk. It, this is the whole thing. It's just, it's just ridiculous. But I tell you, the American people, they are blaming Donald Trump and the Republicans. The latest Washington Post ABC poll says 53% of the American people are blaming Trump and Republicans for the shutdown. Only 29% Democrats. So he's desperately losing the PR battle, and he knows it. But he's still dug in like a child. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. I'm hoping, hoping and praying that um, something gets resolved, not just for my own family, but for the thousands and tens of thousands of other people who are suffering at the hands of this jerk in the White House. But with that said, let's talk a little bit about another jerk, (laughs) Michael Cohen. (laughs) And I'm, I'm happy to bring in my CNN colleague, Josh Campbell, to talk a little, little Michael Cohen, little uh, Bob Mueller, um, and a little of uh, what President Trump is, is, has been up to and, and where, where we go from here uh, in, this, in this investigation and why it's all important. So up next, Josh Campbell. There has been so much going on in the news and uh, I, I, it would have been remiss of me not to have someone on Honestly Speaking this week who could talk about the implications of some of these bombshell reports concerning Michael Cohen, the FBI, Trump, the counterintelligence investigation. I mean, there's just been so much going on and it's only been a week 
and it's hard to put it all together. So who better than to join me than one of my colleagues at CNN. He's a CNN law enforcement and national security analyst, and he's also a former supervisory agent, special agent at the FBI, Josh Campbell. Josh, you've been a popular guy around the meet, around CNN these, these days, so thank you for taking time to come talk to me on the podcast. It is my pleasure to be here. It is uh, definitely exciting times, calamitous times, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> it was but, the best of uh, times. It was the worst of times, right? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I look forward to breaking it all down with you. I appreciate that. Um, it's funny you say that because my husband uh, bought me a, a mug for Christmas that says, Welcome to the Shit Show. And I yeah. always joke, I, I put it on Instagram and said, Should I bring this on air with me? Because every week it's something else. <laughs> Something new, and you know, it's only—it's it's still January, right? I mean, it's amazing. I We're already into the new year and the the new cycle. I think uh, Anderson Cooper described it as Trumpcated time. Oh where my everything gosh! Everything is just condensed. Yes. You know, where it's just—you have five stories a day. It's amazing. It's true. Anderson always comes up with something good like that in his in his opening monologues. That's good. Trumpcated time. It's going to be a new a uh, new measurement of time. Exactly. Um, so we have found out a couple days ago about this bombshell. Well, first last week we heard about the two bombshell stories in the New York in the New York Times and Washington Post. One about a counterintelligence investigation opened up into Trump by the FBI because they were so concerned about Trump's behavior with Russia that um, those steps were taken. Um, before we talk about the Cohen stuff, can you just, I just want my listeners to understand the steps that it takes for the FBI, since you used to be an agent, for them to actually open up a counterintelligence investigation into the president of the United States, let's say. This is not something that's done easily, is it? No, it's certainly not. And and I'll preface all this by saying that, uh, you know, obviously I I was in the FBI, worked in at FBI headquarters uh, there on, on the executive corridor in, in the FBI director's office. And it's important that folks realize that, you know, all FBI employees, even once you leave, you still, you know, take an oath that you won't divulge classified information. So I, I just mentioned that to say, uh, you know, I won't get into actual specifics. Right, but hypothetically, of course. Um, you know, it, it, it was a, a definitely a bombshell report, because if you think about it, I mean, you know, we've, we've had, you know, six different news stories since then. But uh, going back to that place in time, according to this reporting, you had FBI agents that were looking at the activity of the president of the United States and were so concerned that his actions may have potentially posed a threat to national security that they took the step to open a counterintelligence investigation. Now, what's interesting, and, and you hit on this, uh, you, you nailed it as far as the you know what it takes to actually do. If you were to open a regular investigation, one that didn't involve uh, a special category of people such as politicians, the clergy, members of the press, those are all uh, grouped together inside the Justice Department. Anyone investigating that group has to have you know very high level approval in order to do so because you don't want to be investigating people that are exercising their First Amendment right, uh, for example, or you know obviously that are high-profile high people without a lot of people knowing it. And so that's important to realize because to open a regular investigation, and I opened countless of them when I was an FBI agent, the threshold is actually very low. You need information or allegation. There's been some type of violation of a federal crime. So an FBI agent sitting in Washington or New York or Los Angeles that opens the you know, front page of the newspaper and sees something about maybe a politician doing something wrong or someone doing something wrong you could start digging into that you know, with a proper, proper predication. When it comes to the president, and again, in that protected class of people that are politicians, 
that then has to be coordinated with the Department of Justice, with the senior leaders. And the reason why that's important, I think, is because if you look back on the last year and a half, the president of the United States is engaged in this campaign of attack against the Justice Department, right. the FBI, and Bob Mueller, basically saying that they're out to get him and you know, there's some kind of rogue deep state of corrupt people. The reality is, is that that would have been coordinated, an investigation like that, with the people that he appointed in the Justice Department. Yes. I'm talking about Rod Rosenstein. Correct. And so it does require high-level approval, but again, these are people that were nominated by the president. I'm glad that you brought that point up because I cannot emphasize that enough to people that when the president does this and he goes after the FBI and attacks the, uh, the law enforcement community and the intelligence community, he's attacking people who he appointed, who work for him him. These are not people who uh, are just randoms that that, um, uh, you know, that have something out to, that are out to get him as much as he's trying to convince people of that. So for the for those and they're all Republicans, right? right? Yeah, that's right. Including yeah, Bob Mueller, by the way, Mueller, James <laughs> Mueller, Comey, these are all lifetime Republicans. Right. That's right. That's right. So I'm, I'm glad that I that people now understand that this is not something that you open up willy-nilly. It takes layers upon layers of bureaucratic approval to get something as large as a counterintelligence investigation opened up into the president of the United States. So you heard it, folks, from an actual person who was in the FBI for years who understands the complexity of these things. This is not something that is done uh, flippantly at all. Um, moving on from that, um, we won't go. I talked last week on last week's episode, episode with Juliet Kayem about the implications of the other story, which was Trump um, basically confiscating his notes from from his translator during his meetings with Putin and not allowing his own his own analysts to to read them or to know what happens. There's no official documentation of, of these meetings, except for, I think, one or two where Rex Tillerson was the other one in the room. But we don't know. And we talked to right. her about that um, and and those implications from a national security perspective. But I want to talk to you more about the latest bombshell that came out from BuzzFeed concerning Trump's former personal attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen. Please explain why. I mean, we it feels like every week there's a bombshell, but this one coming out of BuzzFeed, which the which implies now CNN has not um, uh, corroborated this story with its own sources yet, but all the major news outlets are reporting this um, BuzzFeed story, which is claiming that D- Michael Cohen is saying that Donald Trump instructed him to lie to Congress about his dealings with Trump Moscow, that he briefed Trump's kids on this. That's Don Jr. and Ivanka. He was in regular contact with them about this and that Trump was actually contemplating a trip to Russia to meet with Putin possibly to get this deal done for this Trump Tower Moscow all during the election. Why is this a bombshell? Well, this is explosive if this turns out to be true. And again, as you mentioned, we're working to corroborate that. But And it's complex in the sense that there are many different layers here, and let's walk through a couple of them. The first of which being, you know, we've long described people like you and me that are on TV you know, trying to explain to the American people what a lot of these, uh, these issues mean to them, right, in their everyday life. Right. Why, did, why should they care? 
why should they care exactly? And when we talk about Michael Cohen, this was the right-hand man to the president. This was his former lawyer, his fixer. Uh, this is someone you know we've described as knowing where all the bodies are buried. And at least according to this story, it looks like he's now leading prosecutors to those proverbial bodies. And mm-hmm. you know what the reporting suggests is that he's telling prosecutors and, and uh, the law enforcement officers that are investigating that the president did allegedly engage in a le- legal activity and tried to suborn him into lying to the legislative branch, which is obviously a very serious crime. And what, what's really interesting about this is that, you know, we are dealing with two people that have that really lack in the area of credibility because they both lie so much. So right. you have Michael Cohen, who has admitted to lying, right? He's admitted that to prosecutors. And you have the president of the United States who lies regularly, you know, almost hourly. True. And so what was important about that reporting uh, from BuzzFeed is that it, it actually references that it's not just Michael Cohen's word, but that there were perhaps text messages and emails and other forms of communication that are in the proper or possession of uh, prosecutors. And so I think, as, you know, as a former investigator looking at through that lens, that's going to be the key part. What is that information, and does it actually corroborate what Michael Cohen is saying to investigators? Because, it, you know, otherwise it's just two liars that are basically telling, you know, two different stories. And w- one other thing I think is really important as well, and, you know, in my lens, I, I don't look at things through, through politics, you know, as far as who's political ox is gored on a given day by sure. a particular story. Um, and so I was actually, I was uh, on early this morning, and I've been on throughout the day, really cautioning, uh, you know, the Democrats, and, you know, they don't need political advice from me, but really cautioning that, you know, for those who are calling for immediate uh, removal from office and immediate resignation by the president based on a news story, need to slow their role because they're missing <laughs> an important step, and that's the investigation. And that's what we need to take place. We need to know what Mueller knows. We need, you know, his thorough investigation to be completed. And then it was actually a Congressman Ted Lieu, a Democrat on uh, Los Angeles, who said, you know, we will uh, hold hearings, which is that's the right thing to do. Right. right? You don't call right. for an immediate resignation or whatever. We need to get to the facts. And a lot of explosive allegations here. And I think with Mueller and Congress on the case, I, I, I suspect that we're going to find out exactly what happened. Well, in the parlance of the young folks today, Michael Cohen has the receipts. Okay, he's got the receipts. And we we saw evidence of that, a small piece of it publicly um, a couple months ago when the tape was released of Cohen and Trump talking about the payoff to the Playboy Playmate Karen McDougal. And the entire and the whole National Enquirer story and 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 um, that payment and where Trump denied those payments, he denied the Stormy Daniels payments. But we heard a portion of a tape that that Cohen released. So God only knows what what the special counsel has, what the Southern District of, of New York um, uh, prosecutors have. I'm glad you mentioned have. that actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that tape because I'd actually forgotten about it in this yeah. deluge, right, of news cycle. <laughs> what this do you mean a, you forgot Lori- about that? <laughs> yeah, How right. That's like 15 stories ago, right? <laughs> it feels well, like two years so ago. <laughs> it does feel like two years ago. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what actually distinguishes Michael Cohen from most attorneys, uh, that he was actually taping his client, which is highly unethical, right. um, which obviously tells us about you know what kind, what kind of caliber of person that we're dealing with. But with that said... As an investigator, that's a potential gold mine. If he was able to provide investigators with Donald Trump's voice on tape talking about potential crimes, if you go back to Watergate, I'm, I'm actually working on a book right now where I, I survey kind of these political attacks on the FBI, and I really started digging into the history. And it's fascinating with Nixon because, you know, if you think about it, during the parallels, that time, yeah. 
Yeah, the parallels. There were allegations of criminality, but until that smoking gun tape came out where you had the President of the United States, his own voice, obstructing justice, that really shifted things. And so to, you know, tying that today with Cohen, if he's able to provide those receipts to uh, investigators, I think it's a game changer. I think it's a very perilous time for this president. I'm glad you made that historical reference because I've often mentioned that Republicans, because people were always talking about, you know, I, I'm a Republican. I come from Republican politics. Uh, I worked in Capitol Hill for seven years. I've been involved in Republican politics since I was 18 years old, so 25 years of this. Um, obviously, I'm horrified by what's been going on with the party. But the looking at the responsibility of the Republicans, since the president claims to be a Republican, um, the Nick with Nixon, Republicans were still on Capitol Hill were still supporting Nixon until the tapes. Most people don't realize that Watergate was going on for years before John Dean's testimony and all and the tapes and the lawsuits and all of that happened. I mean, it was only it was it was only until then that you that um, Republicans started to jump ship because it was so obvious and they finally marched up to Pennsylvania Avenue and told Nixon, "You got to go." But it yeah. was only a couple weeks before his resignation. Before that, right. the majority. Republicans still supported Nixon, very similar to what's going on today with Trump. It is. It's the enablers, right? Yes. We, you know, those people that are doing his bidding. And, and I'll say full disclosure, I, I worked uh, for the Republican Party back in the day before I uh, you know, went into the FBI. And so, you know, what I'm saying is not I'm not predisposed to criticize Republicans, but I right. agree with you that the people today in the GOP that are enabling the president as he continues to undermine the rule of law, it's so troubling. And we've seen this movie before, as you mentioned, with Nixon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since we're talking about that criticism. Um, I, I am just blown away by uh, how many Republicans in office who know better are sitting by and letting Trump get away with that. What um, actually you tweeted something that I that I thought was it was interesting after the Cohen news broke. You said people who joined Trump in attacking Mueller and FBI and the FBI should do some soul searching after these revelations. I'm paraphrasing. Um because you have you have really been a, a defender of the FBI and the law enforcement and, and intelligence communities be, uh, during this whole time, because you were there when when James Comey, who was your former former boss, was fired. You were there that day, and you also part of why you left left the FBI was because of what you saw going on and the attacks. Um, talk a little bit about that day, what it was, what it was like, because that was really, that's almost like, you know, a, a point in time, like before Christ, this is like, you know, before the Comey firing and after the Comey firing, because it really has defined Trump's presidency and where we are now. But just tell my listeners a little bit about what it was like for you that day with James Comey, who was the FBI director at the time when he got fired, and then kind of the, a little bit of what it was like afterward with the turmoil and how the FBI felt looking at what was going on. Yeah, it, it really signaled kind of two different worlds, right, before and after. And, you know, one thing I'll say uh, just at the outset is when, when I describe myself as defending the FBI, I always make the point defending the FBI against unfair political attacks. Because and the reason I say this is because the FBI is not perfect, and obviously right, sure. there were things, decisions that were made that are not that that were not appropriate, and you know they can defend themselves and explain themselves. And so uh, I really make that distinction between righteous criticism of the FBI and this campaign that you know the president and his allies have done, which is pure politics. And it all goes back to that day, right back in May of 2017. I remember it being. 
meeting there in the Los Angeles field office of the FBI with the FBI director. He was doing a visit. Uh, he was actually going out to uh, to do a uh, diversity and inclusion uh, recruitment event where uh, we had these across different parts of the country, and he always wanted to attend in person, where he was trying to pitch uh, to a group of highly qualified, diverse applicants why they should come to the FBI, and he wanted to be that messenger and do it himself. And so we had arrived early in L.A. that day, and so uh, because we had a couple hours before the event, he wanted to go to the field office, so we went there. And if you remember at this time, now you know we all know kind of in hindsight, but the President of the United States prior to this had sat across from the FBI director on two occasions, first of which in a private dinner and demanded loyalty from the FBI director, which those who know history know that that's highly inappropriate. The FBI is supposed to be an independent institution. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the president, who kind of has this mob boss mentality, really tried to put the squeeze on him and say, you know, I need loyalty from you. And obviously, you know, Comey demurred. And then fast forward to an Oval Office meeting where the president, again, you know, dismissed the rest of his staff and sitting one-on-one with the FBI director, uh, in my judgment, attempted to obstruct justice by asking the FBI director to dispense with the ongoing investigation into Michael Flynn, the FBI, uh, the uh, national security advisor. Um, and again, you know, Comey wouldn't do it. And so that's what led to that actual event where they were sitting there in May, and he was actually, you know, addressing a group of employees, and we see the screen flash in the back of the room on television that he'd been fired. And that's how the president, who's famous for, you know, the, the, the tough guy, you're fired approach, uh, that's how he notified his FBI director via cable news um, that he had actually uh, been been terminated. And what that, was interesting is that's that, pretty extraordinary. Oh, I just want to stop you for a second because I don't think that most people realize that the FBI director found out that he had been fired by watching CNN. <laughs> he did. He, so I was actually standing by by uh, Comey, and I and as his assistant, I had uh, developed this this skill of kind of listening through one ear what he's saying, and then you know on the phone, kind of planning for what what we're going to do next. <laughs> and he he came to a, a silent. Uh, he stopped talking, and I kind of snapped out of my. You know, I was in the zone. I looked, and he was looking at me, and then he was nodding to the TV. And again, we looked in the back of the room, and it was actually Fox News that came up and said that uh, Comey had resigned. And he was confused because presumably he would know if he resigned. So right. He didn't know what was really going on. Right. And then, yeah, and then uh, next to the screen was uh, CNN, and it was actually our colleague Jeff Zelley, the White House reporter, came yeah. on and said, no, he'd actually been fired. So that's, that's how he learned about it, which was, which was very stunning. But more stunning than that was, you know, the rationale that the president and Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein, the Justice Department, the, the rationale they gave was that uh, Comey had been too tough on Hillary Clinton and that, you know, the, yeah. the way he had handled that investigation was inappropriate, which we know is complete nonsense. Of course. But then shortly thereafter, the president talking to NBC News actually admitted that it was the Russia investigation that was on his mind when he called when he fired Comey. So yep. inside the FBI, that caused just such such uh, I won't say chaos, but such concern that we might be in a position where the president of the United States removed the person investigating him in order to obstruct an investigation, which is just completely stunning. And then the, the last thing I'll say on that, which is kind of tying it back to, um, you know, the, the political angle we were just talking about, you know, I talked to a lot of, I have a lot of friends that, that in the FBI, it's an organization that, you know, skews right of center, you know, law enforcement, and the military and the like, but even those who are very conservative, even those who, you know, were Republican, I, I still talk to them and, and they've gone from frustration to anger now at this campaign of attack against law enforcement by the quote unquote party of law you know party of law enforcement mm-hmm. and so since that time it's really been this evolution that's perplexed a lot of people and i will say this is this is somewhat of a shakespearean tragedy because you know if Trump hadn't fired Comey, there would be no Mueller. Right. And if Trump hadn't fired Sessions, there would be no Bob, uh, no Barr 
on TV during his confirmation hearing saying that someone who obstructs justice has broken the law. So it's just an yeah. incredible time that we're in. It's uh, I, I can't wait to read the history books written about this time. This is going to be, yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty extraordinary and, and, and it's scary at the same time. I mean, I, I always tell people that you have to find some kind of levity in this situation or else you, you're going to go mad because there are so many yeah. alarming things going on here. And even, and yeah. one other thing that took place at that time, let's not forget that Trump was also in the Oval Office with, the, with Russian um, spies, basically. I mean, Sergei, Sergei Kislyak, who was the Russian ambassador, is, a, is an intelligence operative for the for the for the okay. Kremlin for God's sakes, and he had these people in the Oval Office bragging about Comey being a nut job and that he got rid of him, um, and and it relieved this Russia thing off of him. And he re- and he talked about uh, classified information that under that that undermined the Israelis for goodness sakes, an operation that was going on. So. So no wonder when we look in hindsight, no wonder the freaking FBI opened up a counterintelligence investigation because, you know, none of it yeah. made sense. What's the other no, explanation? You're, you're absolutely right. And and just the you know, and for those that are in the intelligence community watching all of this, I mean, it's just been such a shock. And, and I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned uh, the Israelis as well, because that actually is reminding me that, you know, one thing that's that's lost on. Uh, I think a lot of us, as we focus on domestic politics, is that the the way that the president and people like his allies, uh, you know, Devin Nunes on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, committee, the way that they politicize the intelligence community yes, it's is reverberating beyond the United States mm-hmm. to our allies. And so, you know, if you go back to this, you know, this quote unquote spygate nonsense that the president talks about, that you know, the Obama administration that implanted a, a spy for political purposes into his campaign, and then you had Devin Nunes leading the charge to actually out a, a, uh, a an informant that was working for the FBI, or that was uh, you know working for the FBI, right? Reporting, right? That is reverberated because I talk about I talk to people in the intelligence community that say the president is causing grave damage. A, because it'll make it our jobs tougher to recruit people to come forward and help law enforcement and help the intelligence community, but also our foreign par- partners, such as the Israelis, such as the Brits, such as the Australians, they're looking at that and wondering, if I share a piece of intelligence with the president or with the U.S. government, is that then going to make its way into the hands of the Russians or some other hostile service? I think that's the lost piece as we focus on domestic politics, that there are reverberations here that are so dangerous. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, I was just in Israel for a week in December, and we had meetings with um, with uh, IDF folks and 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 uh, officials in in Israel. And believe me, the the decision to pull out of Syria abruptly like that um, did not make the Israelis happy. Uh, I, I mean, no it's just it's. Um, but that's another discussion for for another day. Uh, but that but that is a great point that it, the consequences are not only domestic. His attacks on our domestic law enforcement officers have their own reverberations, but the the attacks on the intelligence community and how that impacts our standing in the world, um, people need to know, because the President of the United States has a lot of power in that area and a lot of unilateral influence where the Congress can't necessarily counterbalance him. And because our founding fathers assumed that the President wasn't going to be working for, a, a, you know, in, in conjunction right. with a freaking foreign enemy, not just a foreign exactly. power, but a foreign enemy. Um, but bringing that back to the FBI and the fact that um, you know you have a lot of experience in investigations and the president's attacks on just the institution um, and our criminal justice system back to the Michael Cohen news um, you know Trump has repeatedly tried to convince his supporters that the FBI were a bunch of jackbooted thugs who went in there and did something completely improper when they went and 
conducted the search warrant on Michael Cohen and his properties. Um, that, in fact, is not the case, correct? When That's they, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So people like Rudy Giuliani, who, you know, he's become somewhat of a caricature now. Somewhat. Uh, but his, somewhat, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm being diplomatic. I think it's, I think it's beyond uh, somewhat. I'll say it. Yeah, he's a freaking uh, caricature. <laughs> he's, you're, and his role is, you know, people talk about him as a lawyer, but he's a PR guy. He's, he's mm-hmm. you know, leading a campaign of attack for political purposes. And, with, and he's one of the more tragic figures in this whole thing because he was, you know, the uh, America's mayor. He right. was the, the Southern District yeah, of New York. Yeah, used to like him. U.S. attorney. Yeah, right. He was he was the law and order guy. And now he's you know, he's he's calling FBI agents Nazis. And, you know, he's really taken a, a crazy turn, um, which, you know, is going to really I don't I don't think history is going to look well on him and what he's decided to do. But to your question, I mean, and, and again, you know, the president, obviously, he uses Twitter. He can call this a witch hunt and deep state and, you know, really appeal to the lowest common denominator of argument. Right. By really attacking people. It requires a little more thought to actually explain reality, but but here it is. I mean, whenever, for example, the FBI went in and, and conducted a search, uh, executed a search warrant on Michael Cohen's office, this was a lawful court order from a federal judge, which is independent of the FBI. It's a you know a whole other branch of government who gave that authorization, knowing that this was an attorney. And you know the FBI doesn't just start busting down doors and and you know this this isn't this isn't other places in the world where we wouldn't want to live. I mean, yeah, like the Russia. United States and our government. <laughs> Correct. Right. Where they can do whatever they want. Exactly. But, you know, and, and that's why what has been so frustrating for me and, and why I've been so vocal and really try to point this out, that, look, you know, the FBI, it's not a rogue, uh, you know, set of, of you know, uh, deep staters who are out to get the president. That makes no sense. I mean, anyone who knows the FBI, knows law enforcement, knows that these are professionals who get up every single day working to protect this country, sometimes without pay right yes. now, right during the shutdown. But, you know, the, the politics are the first thing from their mind. And, and the thing is, I mean, there have been mistakes, right? So if you think about this... Uh, you know, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. And right, Andy I was going to ask you about them. Yeah, I mean, I, and I know all three of them, and obviously the, their their judgment was, you know, they ran afoul of a lot of things um, and, and have, you know, caused great damage, I think, to the FBI, but they don't represent the whole FBI or the investigators that are doing this work. And I think the president knows that. I think Rudy, I know Rudy Giuliani knows that. He, you know, used to work for the Justice Department. But what they're trying to do is exploit a few bad actors and try to paint the entire thing as corrupt. And as long as they do that, there'll be people like me, people like you, people that care about the rule of law that are speaking out. Because at the end of the day, this is more than just Donald Trump. It's more than this place and time. The American people cannot lose confidence in law enforcement and the FBI because that makes us less safe. Because that means that whenever an FBI agent knocks on someone's door and needs help, or an FBI agent is trying to recruit an informant to come forward and provide critical information, if the American people doubt for a second that that agent cannot be trusted, then we're all less safe. And so that's why I've been so vocal in actually speaking out and explaining that, yeah, some mistakes were made. Those people have to be held accountable. But what we're seeing is a pure political campaign to destroy law enforcement because Donald Trump is afraid what Robert Mueller is going to find. That, that is a, an excellent, excellent point, a powerful point. Um, I, I wish that the millions of viewers on Fox News would hear that perspective more because that's not what they're being fed. It's a propaganda campaign over there uh, that is continuing to sully the FBI and the good men and women over there who are trying to do their jobs. Um, 
but they don't hear that. Every night on Fox News, it's about Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, Andrew McCabe. I mean, they are really hammering this home um, that these were these people were basically uh, behind everything that's happened to Donald Trump, that this is a witch hunt and it's all because of them. And that's not true. Like you said, they made mistakes, but the, there were two Inspector General reports that said, yeah, they were they had their personal feelings, but it didn't impact their job. And, and, and for the most part, and Andy McCabe got fired. OK, he lost his job and it wasn't right. it wasn't for anything against Donald Trump. It was for leaking something that was actually negative about the Hillary Clinton. The, I mean, the Clinton <laughs> Foundation, for goodness sakes. But you don't hear right. about that side of it because Trump keeps trying to use that as a deflection away from what he's doing. And I just feel like now that House of Cards is really starting to crumble on him. How much more how many more times he's going to be able to tweet out no collusion in all caps. He's, right? No, you're he's, right. Rudy Giuliani well, just kind of destroyed that recently, didn't he? He did indeed. And you know what's interesting is that you know you just made the compelling case there, and unfortunately, the way that you just explained it, that doesn't fit in the tweet, right? <laughs> right. So you, you know you have to actually describe these things and explain these things because there's so much uh, you know nonsense that's being spewed out there by people that are trying to undermine you know uh, law enforcement and the rule of law. And what's really fascinating is I was actually I was talking to someone who was involved in, in the Watergate investigation, and you know they made the point that. Uh, if you go back to that place in time, had there been a Fox News at that point, Nixon may have gotten away with mm. what he did if he had that those enablers out there that were really pushing that narrative that he's a victim, he's a victim. And you know, when I talk about Fox News, I distinguish between you know there are really good journalists over there, and there then there's are. like the late night prime you know opinion right, piece, that's right. prime time stuff, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, me but too. It's really fascinating to think about that. You know, Donald Trump is is you know he has this stable of enablers that are really helping him and for the life of me i cannot figure out why they're doing what they're doing why they turn on law enforcement and you know and why they're throwing in with someone who for all intents and purposes the way you know as we read the tea leaves it looks like there are serious allegations of illegality that are on the horizon and i just don't understand for the life of me why people like that would turn their back on the rule of law in order to support someone like that it's very baffling it is. And I just think that 2019 is we're only two and a half weeks in, three weeks in, and it feels like a lifetime already. Now that Democrats are in charge of Congress, they have subpoena power. They will certainly use their oversight powers in better ways than the Republicans did. They, The Republicans just abdicated their responsibility here because they could have easily put the kibosh on a lot of this if they had done their proper oversight investigative function um, instead of being enablers like Devin Nunes um, um, basically giving cover to the president. But at some point, okay. at some point, you know, when you take on the law, the law is going to win. And I hope and um, just to, as we close, uh, you made the point that the shutdown is affecting the FBI, that FBI agents are not getting paid, um, yet they are still doing their job. My husband is a federal law enforcement uh, officer. Um, I haven't I don't say which agency, but he is under DHS and he is also working without pay. Um, and, you know, have you have you talk to any of your fellow agents who are currently working how is this affecting them over at the fbi i'm assuming morale is already a bit rough yeah it's so morale is is, is obviously taking a hit you know with this campaign of attack it's, it's even more so the fact that you have people that are now working not getting paid realizing that this is just a political food fight that's you know being played out and they're pawns that are kind of caught in the middle um, you know, we, we just did a story with CNN where we described that in, in various FBI field offices around the country, they're actually opening food banks now to help some of the employees that are not getting paid, you know, some of the, the, uh, the, the 
employees on the kind of lower end of the pay scale that, you know, they, they live paycheck to paycheck. And whenever the government, you know, lapses in appropriations, and that means that paychecks aren't coming out, these are real people that are impacted. And there was one other, um, uh, you know, anecdote that we had heard that was happening in different offices where, you know, you have FBI employees that are now putting in requests through their offices to seek outside employment in addition to their normal work because they're not getting paid. Mm. And so, again, you have people whose job is to protect the United States, and, you know, you want them focused on that. You don't want them wondering what right. other outside employment do I have to do. And one thing that was so, you know, fascinating as we kind of tied this all together is, uh, you know, just uh, a couple of days ago, there was this arrest down in Georgia of this person who was attempting to plotting to attack the White House and various um, locations in the Washington, D.C. area. It was part of this undercover operation. The FBI took him off the deck. I read through the court filings and you had FBI agents working on Christmas. You had FBI agents working on New Year's. You had FBI agents working just two days ago whenever they affected the arrest all without pay, but doing their job to protect not just the United States, but to protect Washington, D.C., which is the place where these people cannot come together to get the government up and running right. in order to pay these people that are really working hard. So I think it, it, it's shameful on a number of fronts. They're going to keep doing their job because their mission is more than just pay. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a great mission. Uh, but again, it, it's unfortunate. And, and the last thing I'll say on that, too, just, you know, I, I want to leave people with a little bit of hope as we talk about all this calamity with Mueller and Trump and all of this. At the end of the day, I hope folks know that, you know, there are different fields, there are different areas of employment, there are different careers that people pursue, and they do so for very different reasons. But I know having served in the FBI, that to a person, they don't do it for money, they do it for the mission. And they know yes. that their job is to protect the country from threats domestically, from threats internationally, and whether that's an average citizen, whether that's a corporate executive, whether that's the President of the United States, these people will continue to do their job without fear or favor, regardless of the attacks, in order to protect this country. And that, that lets me sleep at night. Well said. And thank you for continuing the mission. You may not be uh, a sworn FBI agent anymore, but your expertise, your insight and your continued advocacy for protecting the institution is well needed and and much appreciated. And that's why I felt it was important to have you on with me on um, on Honestly Speaking. And I thank you so much for what you do. Um, I can't wait for the book when it comes. When's it supposed to come out? You got to come back on and talk about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, so I'm still in the drafting phase. It'll come out in the fall of this year, uh, but I'll, I'll definitely keep you posted. It's, it's been a really fun project, basically taking a lot of what I described today and laying that out for the American people. Kind of, this is the this is the call to action. This is why these institutions matter, yep. and more importantly, this is the result if we allow politicians to win these political attacks against our institutions of justice. Amen to that, brother. Thank you so much, Josh. Josh Campbell. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate it. Likewise. And where can people find you? They follow you on Twitter. Are you on Instagram? Because I, I, Josh, I know that you love dogs. You have a corgi, which is the cutest. <laughs> Everyone, you have to follow Josh. Even if you don't give two shits about anything else, just follow him for the cute pictures with his corgi. Where can people find yeah. you? <laughs> well, and that's my levity, right? So, yeah. uh, so the dogs, they're much better than people sometimes. Yes, um, indeed. So on, on, <laughs> so on Twitter, it's Josh S. Campbell. Um, and on Instagram, which I was just pressured into joining not too long ago because uh, folks wanted to see pictures of the dog more, uh, <laughs> it's Josh Campbell CNN. Uh, they can find me. So I look forward to engaging me there, ask questions. Uh, they're really great platforms to express ideas. So thank, thanks for the follow. And again, thanks, Tara, for what you do. It, it's really, really important. And I, and I think people understand that. I, 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 it's the cross I have to bear and I just feel it's the right thing to do and, and in this er, in this era what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and more people need to 
uh, speak up and do that. Um, never Amen. be bull- never be bullied into silence is what is what I say to folks. So um, just trying to do my part as you are too. Josh Campbell, right. thank you so much. I will see you in the hallways of CNN, my friend. Sounds great. Cheers. Take care. You've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, the Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesdays, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But he finds himself way in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV, Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. So in light of uh, the shutdown and uh, what's been going on, So my feel-good story of the week this week is a brief one, and it's about uh, former President George W. Bush. Some of you may have seen the photograph of uh, the former president bringing his Secret Service detail pizzas just to thank them and show his appreciation for them because they're working protecting him without pay. And, um, you know, I've always heard great things about, about George W. and the way he treated his Secret Service detail. Uh, and so did his father also. They, they are beloved by the Secret Service. And they were so respectful of what the Secret Service did and their schedules and how tough it can be on the home life of the agents that the Bushes would not travel on Christmas Day outside of the D.C. area. They would always leave to go to their branch or wherever after Christmas. So they would stay local so that the Secret Service agents could go home to their families during Christmas. Um, which was much appreciated considering how much those guys travel. So just a little, you know, feel-good story that, you know, all politicians aren't the worst. And um, that gesture and appreciation I know that that President Bush did for his Secret Service agents um, helps boost morale. So that's the feel-good story of the week this week. Don't forget to tune in next week for Honestly Speaking with Tara. Next Tuesday, we'll have an all-new episode. And given the pace of the way things are, God only knows what's happening between, what'll happen between now and then. Feels like a lifetime. (laughs) The week is a lifetime. But you can tweet at me at honestly underscore Tara or at Tara Setmayer on Twitter. Um, Send me questions. uh, Let me know what you think of the episodes. Uh, any guests that you'd like to see I can try and get, you know, talk to me. I'm pretty interactive. So 
I'll see you on, on Twitter or on Instagram at the Tara Setmayer. I always post some pretty funny things. Usually when I travel, there's in my IG stories, I always have something going, <laughs> something going on. So I'll see you next week on Honestly Speaking with Tara, where I'll be back where it's warmer and not in negative 19 degrees <laughs> like here in Fargo. <laughs>